brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Nerd Party. You have entered the House of Hughes, the latest exploration here on the House Lights podcast, where we look at the work of directors by various different categories and categorizations and decades and all of that sort of thing. So we're looking at John Hughes of the 1980s. And this being our third episode in the series, we are looking at his third film, Weird Science. And with me exploring this highly accurate scientific exploration of computer technology is Dr. Sci-Fi himself, Darren Moser. Darren, is your doll hooked up? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm glad I'm not a doctorate of science because there is very little of that in this actual movie. So science fiction is here to stay. And uh, <laughs> yes, I, I have the, the doll hooked up. Always, that's step number one in the manual, hook up the doll. And uh, Tristan, I must say that you look very charming with a bra on your head. Uh, are you ready to enter this latest room in the House of Hughes? Thank you. You know, it's it's ceremonial, you know. It is. But you know what? The thing is, even when it's ceremonial, you care about fashion. And it shows. I wish we, this was a video podcast so people could tell. It's really, you went the extra mile here. So. I, I, I am excited to talk about this. I uh, I, I am jazzed. Uh, I haven't seen this this movie in a very long time, so it was very interesting to watch it again, and I cannot wait to discuss it with two of my my favorite people to podcast with. Well, while we wait for them to show up, remember to go on over to the nerdparty.com slash contact and reach out to the show and let us know who you'd like us to co uh, cover. And Tristan, where can people find you online if they want to harass you about your opinions about John Hughes? Uh, well, you can find me on mainly on Twitter and Letterboxd at the Insane Robin. You can also find me all over this website at thenerdparty.com and check out some of my other shows. Go to my, my bio page and you'll see everything that I do. I'm really proud of everything that I do on this network. And Darren, why don't you tell people where they can go and uh, pick apart the scientific inaccuracies of Kelly LeBrock's creation here in Weird Science? Uh, they can definitely go to drsci-fi.com, but they can also go to Letterboxd, where I do have a list of the movies that I've been watching, trying to keep up on that and uh, putting my ratings. So that's also Dr. Sci-Fi. And, you know, I, I do want to say as, as a quick aside uh, for the ratings, uh, Darren actually keeps us honest. And, and by tracking all of those ratings, it is something special to behold. Well, really I know is. if I put all of this data in the spreadsheet in my computer, one day it will manifest itself as a live movie critic. That's how it works, right? I'm, I'm betting that that movie critic looks something like Jay Sherman when it's all said and done. But here we are, Weird Science. This is John Hughes's third film. This is uh, 1985's Weird Science, which, you know, I have memories of seeing this uh, way back when. And uh, Tristan, you had mentioned that, the, you know, you hadn't seen this in a while, but we have a new initiate here. Uh, Darren, this is your first time seeing Weird Science, correct? It is. I think I knew more about the uh, Chet like animatronics and that special effect than anything. I think I'd read about it in an article or something like that. And I knew the base premise of they 
make a girl and again and the you know the bras on the the head spoof that's been spoofed you know everywhere yes it has yes it has and of course it is uh one of the earlier works of iron man himself mr tony stark robert downey no junior <laughs> No junior point. in the credits. No yeah. junior in the credits uh, is in this film. So it's it's really trippy to go back and say, hey, that guy's going to become one of the biggest stars <laughs> in movie history. One of the highest paid actors of all time. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. So for anybody, I don't know why anybody would uh, listen to us talk about this if they haven't seen it. But just as a refresher to everybody, in case you haven't watched it in a while, of course, it's about uh, two friends, Gary and Wyatt, who... One night uh, at a sleepover while watching Frankenstein are struck by a crazy idea to hook up a Barbie doll to their computer and flip a couple switches and try to bring said doll to life the way that Frankenstein and Frankenstein's bride were were brought to life. And um, hilarity question mark ensues. But um, Tristan, what is your earliest memory of this? Like, when did you see this for the first time? Man, I remember seeing this pretty young. So it had to have been on TV. It had to have been on TV because uh, I wouldn't have gotten it from the library. I, I know my parents wouldn't have gotten it for me uh, at the at the video store. So it had to have been a TV edited version just randomly, just because it, it wasn't an appointed viewing for me. Like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, weird science is coming on. I better sit down and tape it. No, it was... Um, pure happenstance and uh i caught it pretty early i think right when they were starting all the the quote-unquote science uh in in his bedroom that's when i started the movie and uh, i i made it up until i never really got to, i never got to chet t- transforming into that goblin creature yes um, so like I, i'd never actually seen the beginning and end before like this was the first time I, i've seen it completely but I've seen like 90% of it before. That's pretty interesting because uh, I I have a lot of friends because, of course, I'm the old man of the group who love this movie. They, they you know, this is a, a sort of like a childhood comedy touchstone for them. I remember, I, I mean, there were plenty of bits that I always found cute and funny, but this was never something where it came to mind. Like if you said John Hughes to me, I was like Breakfast Club. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Plane Strains and Automobiles, 16 can't like I would go down the whole litany and then it would be like, oh yeah, right. He did weird science as well. And it's I, you know, the thing that strikes me on this rewatch is how much this is so much like the typical teen comedies of the 1980s. There's nothing that really distinguishes it in any meaningful way. Uh, from those comedies. And so, Darren, you know, we've got two Hughes films under our belt. You gave uh, Breakfast Club five stars because of its message and and, and its resolution and everything. And I think that's completely justified. I'm not giving my star rating just yet. Okay. (laughs) Oh, no, I know. (laughs) We're seven minutes into the podcast. But to set the stage. Right. um, Do you feel that this is the work of the same, like, is this the work of the same director to you, or is this a sort of out of left field, wait, what happened sort of moment for you? Yeah, it it is a bit of a jarring change. I mean, I was expecting more for the third installment of the Anthony uh, Michael Hall trilogy yes. as this character we've seen for these three movies. I mean, obviously not the same character, but yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things where if you can if they can get you to buy into the premise you're probably going to enjoy it way more but if you cannot get bought into that premise if it is a, if it is a step too far you're going to be scratching your head the whole time because they play fast and loose and there is again we talk about like rules and lore and and stuff like that like what are her powers why does she have powers why like what is what is going on because my goodness there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie i feel like we've uh, we've been spoiled as uh in the 2020s or like 2010s and everything like that where we tr- we tried to actually i guess in this century where we focus into you know science fiction tries so hard to separate itself from science fantasy and so like hard we, science like we, yeah, we have yeah, those like, kinds of movies now 
Right, yeah, right. And like even even in the even in the quote unquote hard science movies, like you have a big leap of faith with a lot of the stuff where you have to buy into the premise. But like we we explain so much in in modern movies how things work. And that's one thing that I actually really like. Um well I'm a big Star Wars fan and I'm a big Star Trek fan, you know, like 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 all of us in this room. Uh but one thing I really appreciate about Star Wars is that things just work. Like the hyperdrive just works like we don't know how it works yeah. it's you not get explained on a ship on and you go to a planet to, exactly and, and, and in star trek like forward. they go into great detail on how it works in their universe and in their reality on some how would the say warp drive excessive works. Some would say <laughs> yeah excessive. some would say excessive exactly i mean there is a and whole so, phrase techno babble <laughs> yeah and, and so sometimes they're happy medium sometimes you can go in other directions but then you kind of go into like this wacky crazy realm where things work and you just got to roll with it. Like one thing, like this movie kind of made me think of like, not too many people have actually seen this movie, but have you ever seen Michael Keaton in multiplicity? Yes. Yeah. Like there. So yeah. Darren, you're shaking your head. No, uh, multiplicity is, um, so Michael Keaton is just like, he's exhausted. Like he, he, he needs to get more done and he has like a science friend or, or something like that. He like, he's directed to, um, to a to a clinic and they're like if you're if you need some extra help we can do we can just clone you and like that's the give thing you we enough. can do now just that's the thing that know. we can do and the cloning machine is super goof like the whole movie's like it, it's it's rooted in like there's no like there's no like like boing sound effects you know like throughout the movie oh. but in this one it's like ding, boom, bing, boom, boom, so almost boom. like everlasting gobstopper machine levels yes of crazy. yes okay yes. yes and then all of a sudden boom there's another michael keaton and so you just have to buy into the premise. Right. It's just like, it's not a science fiction film in the sense of let's spend half the movie talking about the ethics of, of, right. of, uh, yeah. of cloning. Yeah. The, you know? yeah. This isn't uh, Jurassic LeBrock where it's like, my God, man, you've created life. You are exactly. responsible for what happens now. What if she Ex- gets pregnant exactly. for Pete's sake? 100%. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Like this is, this is a goofy ass premise. And you just got, there's no logic to it. It's just things happen. She can do whatever she wants. And she says that right at the beginning. She's like, I can do whatever I want. I can get whatever I want. And then she does. And so, yeah, it's just, I, I, that's why I, I I, kind of rolled with it. It's interesting though, because in reading about this after the fact, I, I did not know that there was also a like four season TV show called weird science. And, but the premise outlined in that, for me makes way more sense because she is there's also like she kind of has like a magical genie aspect to her where she can grant wishes and things like that and I, so i kind of feel like they kind of should have gone more on the magic route like if he had added a couple of like magical books into the paper feed or whatever i i that personally well, that would help magic. me nope. yeah just a, just i think we needed to double down and we didn't have enough magic and trying to do it all science it, it didn't click for me well i mean you can find the perfect blending there with dungeons and dragons have the monster manual on there and because exactly. that's a real science to creating the proper character in dungeons and dragons trust me they I've fill out there, a character sheet you know? and f- feed it in or something you, you have know? to yeah you know that that would work um yeah, I, I mean, I think all of that ties into the fact that this just seems so, so routine for the '80s, and Hughes' crazy after- scenario to basically give us a woman that the boys can do whatever they want, but it's also a different take because she has this greater purpose in helping them. Well, I mean. You know, honestly, I, I think it's interesting that she's really the one in control the whole time. Yeah, in, she in, has in way more autonomy than you would expect yeah. in this and, kind of scenario. And I like that because it makes everything a little bit less bothersome in certain regards. Yeah. Like, she's in control. It's oh, like, yeah. okay, she's in control. I don't I don't feel that she's being pushed around or ordered in any way. But in terms of the premise and the execution... Again, I and I know I'm going to keep going back to this. For the guy that just gave us Breakfast Club, it's it's puzzling to me because usually a director, it's moving forward. It's building on things, right? You look at the career of Christopher Nolan. You can see him put the pieces together as he goes forward and everything builds up and he puts all of the skills together and things keep growing in complexity and depth. And then this is – this could have been directed by anybody. I see nothing 
Well, nothing in this that says this is a John Hughes. When movie. did he produce this? I'm curious because also Breakfast Club was 85. So was this technically produced? I mean, I'm guessing he didn't make them literally simultaneously. So which he one did? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, a, it's also a very simple movie. I mean, it's a little bit of around the school and the soundstage in the back lot. I think they shot it in like two months, like October to December of 84. Yep. So October, it, October to December. And it was a wrote it in two days. Well, yes, it shows. But it shows. no, like with it, <laughs> I think, I think how it goes, I could be wrong, but I think how it went was he didn't really want to make weird science. Um, he wanted to put all of his effort towards the breakfast club and the studio said, okay, well, you got to give us weird science. You got to give us this fun, you know, like stupid movie and then you can do breakfast club. So he was shooting and doing pre-production. Like he was shooting weird science and doing pre-production for breakfast club. So he was actually making weird science first, but it didn't get released until after breakfast club. And it, Although the, Breakfast Club, I'm just reading it right now, was principally shot in March to May of 84. So it was shot first. And then he shot... Uh, oh, Breakfast weird, Club was shot first. And then he okay, shot okay. Weird Science October to December of, of 84. So he then, was he was shooting this during post-production on Breakfast Club. That's fascinating to oh, me. Oh, okay. So I, I, got it, I got it reversed. Okay, that's great. That's good to know. No, but I mean, that is truly truly kind of fascinating and it it could explain a lot about why the the movie feels like it's just dashed off where it's just yeah, like, yeah that this, could. Is, this is just a thing i i'm just going to make this and this is somebody who knows he's not going to be remembered for this that this is a forgettable just you throw it in the matinee for you know it'll make a couple of bucks with the 15 year olds and we're done sort of thing and i think it's reception i mean it made a chunk of money that. i mean it had it a did. seven and a half million a bu- budget and made almost Forty million dollars, like it wasn't a critical success, but it this made is, money. This is going to seem really ridiculous, uh, or that ridiculously is a ridiculous dis- movie. You're right. Well, no, no, but ridiculously dismissive of me. But back then, in terms of movie theater releases, I, I'm going to chalk up this success to um, fewer choices and an August <laughs> release date. Seriously, no, you, this you're is, probably right. You know, you toss this at the beginning of August. There's nothing else really going on. It's the hottest month of the year for North America, for most North American areas. And it's just like, yeah, you know, the kids are just going to go see it. School's out. What, what the heck? And I mean, that, that's the way I look at it. I, until we were watching this and I, I did a little poking around, I didn't know that Kelly LeBrock was not the first choice to play Lisa. How crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, let's talk about the yeah. first two choices. Well, or I shouldn't say choices, but the two people who auditioned. The one, the one name I know for sure is Kelly Emberg, who uh, left after two days due to creative differences, according to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. talking about something else. I, I there's there was two people, two big names who auditioned for it, and two people I really like, but I don't think would have been right for this movie. And that's Demi Moore and Robin Wright auditioned. Oh goodness, for the no. role of Lisa. Oh no. That wouldn't have worked at all. No, no. And I love me some Robin Wright, but she would not have been right for this role. Yeah, no, no. And and the thing is, this made Kelly LeBrock's career. Like this, Uh, yeah, film career. Okay, well, yes, I'll go with film career. Yeah. Oh, She was already wildly successful before. Yes, but but she became a movie star or uh, she became a bankable movie actress after this. Later going on to star in Hard to Kill with Steven Seagal. Step up, step down, don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Same question. Step up, step down, don't know. (laughs) But yeah, Kelly Emberg was married. I think she was married at the time to Rod Stewart, the legendary rock star. And uh, so, or she was either dating and about to get married or something like that. I don't even know anymore. Now, Um, one cool one thing, I always find this fascinating with with movies um, from the 20th century what Siskel and Ebert said about it. Right. Yeah. And I always love going back and figuring out. Kind of a nice out. consistent because they reviewed everything. Almost, yeah. It seems. And they were split on it. Like Siskel hated it, but yes. Ebert thought it was fun and ridiculous in like nice fantasy escapism. So, so Siskel, or he bought into the premise. Yeah, he bought into, yeah, he bought into the premise. And I think um, Siskel thought it was too sleazy. Is what he said. Something, something along those lines. Yeah, he he gave it one and a half stars out of the antiquated four star scale. 
Um, and he said, uh, the, the quote that I have here is, what a disappointment weird science is. A wonderful writer-director has taken a cute idea about two teenage Dr. Frankensteins creating a perfect woman by computer and turned it into a vulgar, mindless, special effects cluttered wasteland. Which, so that, yeah, I mean, it does have a lot more special effects than his previous work. I mean, that's not wrong. It is a bit of a change, a departure for Hughes. True. True. I'm not saying I, the effects in itself make it a bad a bad movie. I'm just saying it. Oh, if no. you're expecting a Hughes movie, a, you know, a tight, small story, this is not that. I uh, I mean, the thing is, you know, you also had uh, Janet Maslin, the legendary critic for the New York Times, uh, was also not incredibly kind to it, but she at least recognized the target audience for it. Um, because she said it was it was the type of joke only a 14 year old could appreciate or something like that. And so Ebert winds up being a little bit of the the outlier, but what a lot of people that enjoyed the movie definitely, you know, uh, flagged was that Kelly, they loved Kelly LeBrock. They thought she was great. They loved her energy. They loved what she brought to the screen. Um, and so I wonder, and, you know, Darren, I'll ask you, do you think that it's a case of Sometimes you have an actor or actress whose charisma mm. blinds you to the shortcomings of a movie. Do you think that happened here with LeBrock? Wait, are you saying that her charisma blinded may- certain critics to the shortcomings? Of the oh, movie? yeah. Uh, well, possibly. I think. I think the movie would be half of what it is if it had been someone else in that role. She carries that role and performs it masterfully. I mean. Because it's not a motherly role, but it's also like she's really the only one who has her stuff together in the whole. Like she's the only competent person in this entire movie. Like none of the parents, none of the grandparents, none of the brothers, nobody has any like cred- credence except for her in in any of the situations. So yeah, no, I think uh, she would. She really stands out. And I was I was checking the you know the data tapes from '85, and so this came out the week after Pee-wee's Big Adventure and National Lampoon's European Vacation. That's and actually, this movie is the reason why Anthony Michael Hall isn't in European Vacation. Oh, was he going to be in the, in that, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was supposed to reprise Rusty uh, from the original Vacation. And that would have been, I mean, you can debate back and forth as to whether this was the right choice because European vacation is pretty god awful itself. Um, <laughs> I mean, but opening he's the weekend lead in weird science, you know. Yeah, like yeah. he got top billing. That's oh, hard yeah. to pass up. And I yeah. think he did a good job, you know, in in this one, you know, for again, we've been watching him progress through these last three Hughes films. I I know I know that a lot. Of, like I went on Letterbox after I watched it to see what like modern audiences have said about it. And <laughs> speaking of Anthony Michael Hall, a lot of people with, you know, understandable reasons, I guess, understandables, hated the bar scene, like Anthony Michael Hall's performance. I thought it was freaking hysterical when he cracked out that Creole accent. Yes. And I I lost it. I I, I could not contain, I could not contain myself when that bar scene happened because as they walk in and you see you know like you see (laughs) the demographics like my wife watched it with me and she's like i don't think they belong there (laughs) (laughs) she said that (laughs) i I love the fact that they have a literal record skip yeah you know that um i too think that scene is great i it's very rare for too long to go without uh, myself and other friends uh ancient like myself not to somehow work in like, man, it was insane. Crazy, insane, crazy, insane. You know, just like <laughs> insane, crazy, crazy, insane. It's a legitimately funny moment, I think, because yeah. of the fact that it's so absurd because this kid is so freaking blasted that he's he's crossed that line. And it's and I think Anthony Michael Hall does a great job of selling the idea that this kid is like one drink shy of alcohol poisoning drunk. <laughs> and it's just enjoyable for that reason. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, that, that, that definitely was a highlight for me. Um, like, since we're talking about highlights, uh, let, you know, let's, let's talk about things that did work for us. If I get hijack, 
yeah, uh, a please. little bit. Um, <laughs> that I think overall the scene was a little odd with Anthony Michael Hall's parents. I don't think it was needed in the least. But when like Kelly LeBrock scene, right? Yeah, the guns. Yeah, like when. But when Kelly LeBrock pulled out a revolver, <laughs> like it just, it just really solidified. You know how ridiculous this movie was. I mean, I mean, not that you needed any more examples, but for like when they're having the scene and she's just not giving a crap what the parents are thinking whatsoever, and then they're just like, "Get out of my house!" and then she just pulls out a revolver out of what wasn't a violent scene in the in the least. I just again, it was just it raises it to that absurd level where you have to admire how crazy that is. Well, and it kicks off what I think is uh, a great running gag of continually going back and the mom trying to remind the dad that they have a son named Gary. And he's like, who the hell are you talking yeah. about? That like, I think stop is a bringing it up. <laughs> um, I, you know, I can, I can say again and, you know, uh, uh, I, I know I said, oh, I knew a guy like Bender, but I also was related to somebody like Chet, not my own brother, but I was related to somebody like that. And so Chet is especially funny to me. And I think Bill Paxton leans into that, but he's especially funny because of the fact that I think, oh, yeah, I, I know this guy. I know this guy. He's He is this. And I, I think Paxton plays him really, really well. But what's interesting, and this is going to carry forward into Ferris Bueller's day off very much, is Hughes starts breaking the fourth wall here. Yeah. And I was thinking that too. There's a lot he, of, I yeah. personally think he perfected it. He, he perfects it more in Ferris Bueller's. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, it's a motif yeah. in, in Ferris Bueller here. It's just kind of like a, a, a wink to the audience. Like when, um, or even the fact that yeah. like the, not even the times when they're breaking the fourth wall, but like how much the characters talk to each other. You know what I mean? We're like, like they're in the, sh- like when they're in the shower and they're talking about getting ready to like, put the moves on the girls and it's like, you know, somehow it's like, it's trying to get there. But it, but again, when we see stuff like that, where Ferris is doing it, it's, it's more natural. They're not quite oh, yeah. there yet, but I, I think what you see here is Hughes. It's like a prototype. Yeah. He's like, throw, this is a throwaway movie to him, but he's, he's starting to explore. He's like, uh, yeah, okay. Let me see how, how I can make this work. Yeah. Well, how do we tap into the mind of our characters without them either directly looking at the camera and saying what they're feeling or an internal speech monologue? Like, yeah. How do you get inside these characters heads? Yeah. Uh, I, I, there are plenty of things about this movie that I do like because I, I like them in, you know, in, in seclusion, in silos, in seclusion, like there are bits that I like. Um, but I'm not going to wind up being a defender of the movie as a whole. And where I think it really gets too absurd. Now, yes, it's very absurd when she pulls out the revolver, when she wipes the people, she sends the grandparents into a catatonic state, but the ending is so messy with the biker gang. Yes. It's yes. such yeah. a clumsy, it, I think it's very obvious that you know again we've talked about how the, he's just dashing and are they real because they know things that they shouldn't know it's like interesting that you say that because yeah. there is on there's some tv cut where there was a, a moment restored where uh the two boys figure out that this is just a test and that's why they suddenly get that's why courage. they have so much confidence but in the theatrical version that's not in there. And so it really is them gaining courage in front of these rabid mutant bikers that have destroyed the house. Well, I, I can't remember his name, but that one actor who's got like the jaw, like a steel trap and the pointed head. And you're like, yeah, yeah. He, he, he knows like his, his agents like, Hey, I got a good role for you, Bob, you know, because yeah. th- this is your look. You got this. And, he, and that he knows was where was, his bread is buttered. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. knows, he knows, yeah. but I love, you know, it's like Thunderdome. I'm in, you know, the weird science I'm there. Well, where I have to give Hughes credit is uh, casting Vernon Wells as, uh, as Lord general in the biker gang. He's the guy that has the white, uh, 
face paint under his eyes. Oh, the, the mm-hmm. lead. Yeah, the, he's, the head biker. He's the bad guy, one of the bad guys from Road Warrior, Mad well, Max 2. He, wasn't he's there, wearing the exact same outfit. I was going to yes. say, I think he's wearing the same thing. And wasn't there like a Road Warrior car like out the, the hole in the wall? Like it, they literally rode off the set of Road Warrior into this movie is like what happened. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think for that, me, was that was a little clever. That, that scene is like when that happened, that's when I was watching. It was like, okay. Like a step right, too you're, far. You're, you're losing me here, John. Like you're like, come on. Like right. you're better than this. Like you can do better. Yeah. Than this. Yeah. And it's. Well, maybe instead of because they I'm trying to think of antagonists in this and you have Chet, but you also had the two kind of bullies. And the problem is we had already kind of flipped them. They're, they're not bullies anymore. They're not they antagonists. Way too early. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. they had stayed as the antagonists and instead they have to stand up to their own peers instead of the mythical, magical, you know, biker gang, maybe it would have hit differently. Well, yeah, that scene where, uh, like where they try to make another, another woman and then they forget the doll and everything like that. Like you excise that scene and just have them say, like, have them say no, just like, like, no, like we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not like, you're, you're, you guys are the POS, you know, like we're, we're not, you are bullies. You, you know, you, you pants us. They feel like you, they're smart enough to see through that lie. Like it's obvious. Yeah. They just want something. And for some reason they go along with it. Yeah. And then like have the bullies try to ruin the party. Right. You know, like they, they make even bigger asses of themselves or like they're rude to their own girlfriends publicly or something like that. And then the, the guys have to interject, you know, that would have made a much more substantial and much more logical, um, through line for the characters and for the story and it Mm -hmm. just in an already absurd movie like that's the thing is that like when you have absurdity you know you want to you want to bend the you want to bend our belief our and 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 even our disbelief but you don't want to break it and that was the moment where it was broken yes no absolutely with the with with the mutant gang Absolutely. Uh, and the thing is, just because we, we had mentioned uh, a TV version differences, is this movie was victim of early days of um, uh, music rights problems. Mm. And so it's home release. They just used Weird Science by o- Oingo Boingo over and over and over again. <laughs> and so Pretty Woman, by, Pretty Woman by Van Halen and the Rocky theme at the end did not appear until a much later uh, home video release on disc. With the HD, it was a, it was a difference between HD and standard definition. Like when you had the DVD release, it was all Oingo Boingo. And when you had HD, well, like once they got to the Blu-ray and like they yeah. started showing it online and everything like that, that's when they actually worked out the music. Weird Science feels like it would crazy? be an HD DVD. It feels like it'd be weird. Like yeah. Oh, that. I'm uh, I'm sure that it is. But you know, I what, don't ju- think it was. I don't. I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying, like, if any movie oh, okay. was, like, we backed HD DVD. It feels like Weird <laughs> Science would be the one that did that. But but given the fact that you know, it's very obvious that we have our, our problems with this and everything. Speaking as somebody who knows a lot of people who have very affectionate memories of this movie and still have a lot of love for it. Uh, you know, I'll toss this to you first, Tristan. Like, what is it you think? Like, is, is it purely just it came out at the right time for for people to hold on to it as as this little gem of the '80s, or do you think that there's something that just the three of us aren't quite on board with? Like, what is it you think that makes this sort of endure? I I normally try to keep this ambiguous until the end, and then I surprise everybody. Uh, but I'll out myself right now. I really enjoyed this when I watched it oh, for really? this podcast. I okay. did. I did not because you know, like you, you and I joked with Garen at the end of the last podcast about how, like, okay, yeah, this is it's a yeah, movie, you know, yes. like you know, everything He's like that. Better next week's weird science. You're like, yeah, Darren, yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep believing that because when I remembered watching it, like I. I was, I was young and I was just, I didn't get it. Like I wasn't tapped into it. I was just like, ah, this is stupid. This is weird. This is absurd. This is off the wall. I don't like these guys. You know, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not rooting for the protagonists and everything like that, but for some reason, and, and like in, like in, in my wife, 
like when we were sitting down, we're just like, like the kids are finally in bed. She, I said, I was like, Hey, what do you want to watch? And she's like, don't you need to watch weird science? And I was like, ah, oh, God dang it. You know? <laughs> and I was like, fine, let's just get it over with. It's pretty short. Fine, and I, mom, I, get my homework out. <laughs> uh. And as I'm watching it, like we're both laughing. We're, we're both chuckling a lot, like way more than I expected. I was like, wait, I don't remember liking it this much. And I started, and a lot of things were working more than it wasn't. Now I still recognize its flaws. I understand it's absurd. And, and like, I, you know, I, I can't argue with you guys. Like I agree with you guys about the things that don't work, but I don't know what it was, but like I was exhausted. I had a crap week. I had my Ukrainian mule. And I was just ready to watch. I was ready to just turn my brain off. And I was like, just, just hit me with it. Just hit me. Like, I didn't even know this, but my brain was ready to just have absurd fantasy. And that's what I got. And I just, I just absolutely chuckled. I thought Kelly LeBrock did an amazing job. She, 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 she came to work. Like she showed up to work and, and the boys weren't. They were at, at the beginning, like before we they actually created Kelly LeBrock. I was like, I don't know if I can handle these guys. Like, I don't know if I can, yeah. I can, I can get behind these guys. But then once LeBrock's in it, that's when you're like, okay, she's reining these people in. And you know, like this movie has way more heart than you expect, even though it has like this these sexual overtones. It's there is this pseudo. I I, I this is not the right term and don't you know come after me but like darren you kind of mentioned it earlier but like it's almost this maternal thing going on you know between kelly like protector and the boys. she's a guardian for them a, thank you that's yeah. so much better than yeah. maternal it's it so sure much better is. Than maternal. it absolutely is it in this really context, is because yeah. i'm not trying to get Bravo, all oedipal on, on on this but please don't it's it's no it's like it's this guardian it's yeah. the, it's this protectorate where she's invested yeah. in these boys and it elevates and her character like, a lot and and and, and like J- john hughes like knows when to skirt the line with this because when like you try i felt like i was transported back to 15 and 16 while watching some of these scenarios because like when anthony michael hall and i know i've been talking to him for a long time but like when anthony michael hall is passed out and it's it's um it's why it's wyatt and kelly lebrock and they're out on the um the balcony and she's kissing him and it's a it's a it's a really sweet scene and you think you're like oh god like is is she gonna take his virginity like damn okay like i all right and like as a 15 year old boy you're like hell yeah like go for it dude what's yeah go on and then you know she then you reveal later on or she reveals later on, like I was, she's like, I was five minutes into my, like uh, my gymnastics routine routine and you fell asleep. And, and like, I remember saying out loud, I was like, you freaking moron, but you need that in the script to make it okay. Because you have this grown woman, even though she was created in fiction, she is an adult woman being sexually active with a 15 year old boy. Not okay. But John Hughes finds a way to make it okay by having just a little bit of kissing and a little bit of that teen fantasy. But then you think like, oh God, did they go too far? And then he reels it back in. And he does that a couple of times. And I just, I think this is, it's that, it's this fantasy fulfillment movie. It's absurd. It's stupid. It's fun. And it makes you remember, like in the way that Breakfast Club reminds you what it was like in all the horrible aspects of being a high schooler i think weird science reminds you of all (laughs) the insane stupid um nonsense that you would get into and all the horniness that that you just you you were just a walking hormone i think like you you he reminds you of several different aspects of your teenagedom and that's what i really appreciated and i think that's why it works for some people it's not just because it wasn't nostalgia for me to answer your question, John, shortly. Yes. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> like it, uh, it wasn't nostalgia for me at all. I had no nostalgia for this whatsoever, except for maybe just Kelly LeBrock being Kelly LeBrock. But to me, I was just like, no, this is, this is good. This is stupid and good. This is, this is like earth girls are easy, stupid. And 
you know, like, like you guys, I, I, have you not seen that film? Like you? No, I. Oh, okay, I've, never mind. <laughs> so I've the listeners might it. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But. No, I, I, I I'm heard familiar it, with I it. I, I know what it's, I like, I know it's basic premise and everything like that. I've just never gotten around to it. So, <laughs> you know. But yeah, like this, that's why it worked for me. Like I know I just basically gave my ending spiel of why I like this movie and why I think it works. I, I feel like I should give a star rating, but I won't. But yeah, that, that's, <laughs> why, that's why I think it works. And that, because uh, it's not just nostalgia. I think there's genuine things in here. There's a lot wrong with it. And this could be, this could be way better. Like this could be a four star film. If we, if I feel like he was able to spend the time, like if, if John Hughes was more invested in this and not disgruntled because it was taking time away from Breakfast Club, I feel like we could have had a much, much more honed script and a much more f- cleaner edit. Well, I mean, that sounds pretty authoritative to me, but Darren, is there anything about Tristan's assessment that uh, as a first time viewer, you want to disagree with? No, I, I mean, I definitely agree. You know, Lisa was the the best part of the whole movie. Just the way, like I've said before, she's the only one who has all her stuff together. Like everybody, every other character in this movie from parent to child. Yeah. But no, I think, uh, yeah, I think Hugh skirts the line even more. I mean, even the shower scene in the beginning it, it works because it's funny because they're they're fully clothed and they're like, yeah, of, you know, of course, like, are they seeing anything that they didn't see in all the magazines that they fed into the computer? Like, no. That and actually like, had Kelly LeBrock's Playboy Centerfold right? in it, yeah. which was hilarious. And uh, yeah. And then you just have, I think, I think it probably should have gone more ridiculous faster and sooner I think b- basically because then you're more like okay, that's the train I'm on right now. Like it took a l- it took so long where, I mean, at, by the end you're just like oh, Chet was turned into a weird like slime monster. Yeah, that tracks with you know what's been going on. Whereas if that had happened you know a little sooner, that might have been a little more head scratching. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting because with the two leads, it, it ma- keeps making me think of the two guys standing in the doorway in 16 candles, like those friends that weren't part of the story. Like yeah. it feels like this is the movie about those friends and what they did the next weekend is what oh, it feels like. <laughs> John Cusack and yeah, and, John Cusack. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, that's, I, I want to stop you right there. Cause that's, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're right. I that's think that what it feels like. Those he, two guys like he took he those two guys and made yeah. a movie. I mean, he changed the actors, but, it feels like those are the, that's it all, it all fits together. I got my red string on my board over here and I'm piecing <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I, I think it was wonderfully acted. I think the way they portray teenagers, especially at the mall, I'm trying to think of the scenes like besides the party. I mean, the party takes up a huge chunk of the movie. I was the- at that mall the morning <laughs> I watched uh, the, the morning I watched the movie. <laughs> it was weird. I, I have a question for you. Oh, that's you. right. You're Does it area, still look so. exactly the same inside, or have they updated it? No, no, not at all. It, no, it doesn't. It doesn't look like <laughs> oh. that at all. Oh, that's so. Oh, you need to. I mean, print, the layout is the same. You need to print out a, a screenshot and do one of those, like hold it in real life, where it lines <laughs> up with the background. Uh, you know, you know I, what, I, I Darren? I think you and I should fly out. That's uh, the only way to that mall, and we should dump the uh, icy on Tristan <laughs> oh, while he's go. while he's sitting there. That's, I'll give you the Hughes tour. Oh, well, you guys oh, are here. There you go. Because actually, the, the home the, alone the fr- house, all this stuff. The front of the Sherbert High School is just a. Sh- it's it's the same exact. Sh- they just cut it from sixteen candles. Yes, it's the. It, it has the same extras in the frame doing the same movements, oh, and that's they funny. reused it in Risky Business too. <laughs> hey, generic footage is, school. You know, there you go. Good footage is uh, good footage, right? Uh, so. But no, I feel a lot of the times when when the when we're watching the teenagers do things like they're getting the cologne and they're, you know, shopping and figuring things out and they're just being teenagers, you know, and it's, I think it, it works fairly well in, in that regard. I mean, those are kind of the non fantasy elements where they're just kind of going about their lives. Uh, I was also kind of surprised like that Chet, like really wasn't a problem till the very end. I mean, obviously we interact with him, but I was like, I was a kind of, I was surprised that he didn't meet Lisa until the very end. Like I thought that 
would have crossed over at some point earlier and would have come to a head sooner, but it didn't, I guess. So, uh, but yeah, but then we have the party. We have yeah. the, you know, the people from the bar coming to run bartending. I, the, the, the masses, you know, show up in silence because we don't hear yes. them. And then they're like opening the door. They're like party. I'm like, there's no way like a hundred people just got in yeah. your lawn and like, you had no listen. idea. Listen, that's the, why it's funny. That's the, why it's the funny. thing yeah. that I think uh, truly captures the high school experience is all of the kids rushed in to get the fancy hors d'oeuvres and sandwiches as opposed to the alcohol, because that's what kids show up to do at a party <laughs> is not drink, but to eat fine, fine finger foods. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mean, the thing is, I know it sounds like I'm coming down too harsh on it, but it, it really is one of those ones where even on this rewatch, I agree with you, Tristan. I laugh during it. I do. I still laugh. There are, like I said, there are bits that I, I treasure but that, that little five minute part here and there sort of thing. It's just as the whole, it doesn't, it doesn't gel for me. It very much feels like just another routine eighties teen comedy. And those are very hit and miss. And this feels like one that kind of hits. So it's not a miss per se, but it's not a movie that I expect from a guy who has two films in like the national film registry <laughs> as important <laughs> cultural events. This isn't yeah, the type yeah. of movie where I look at it. And I'm like, well, yes, you know, this may not be uh, obviously John a huge Ford, film, you know, this, this may not be uh Ford's uh, the searchers, but you know, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, um, you know, Ford Apache either, you know, but they're equally good works. Like would, it's, do you think you would look on it more favorably if you didn't know it was a John Hughes film? Probably. At this point, yes. And I think that probably had something to do with it was I paid a lot less attention to that type of thing when I was a kid. And so watching this right. back then. You didn't have an expectation. You just went to watch a movie. It's just a zany comedy. But yes, having the expectation in this context of I just watched The Breakfast Club and then I came to this really is a whiplash effect of, oh, okay, why not? Like seriously, in my brain, it would have made more sense to have 16 candles, weird science, and then have the breakfast club show up and say, oh, wow, and then go into Ferris Bueller and then go into planes, trains, and automobiles. That makes more sense to my brain than the way I think it even out. though I didn't like 16 candles at all, I think it, I, I would take that a step further and say, like, if this was his first film, yeah, and then he did like 16 the candles, film. and then he did... Um, well, I yeah. shared a link with you guys. The the intro reminded me a lot of a student film I made back in 03. And it was, uh, you know, it's one of those, you look at the credits and you're like written, directed, acted, and edited and everything. <laughs> Produced. By Darren Moser. Yeah. Costumes. I, I, I want to say thank you for sharing the link. I did get a <laughs> kick out of it. But yes, the credits reminded me of uh, uh, for Twisted Pear, um, Neil Breen's latest classic. It said, written, directed, and craft services by Neil Breen <laughs> oh, was funny. one of the credits. And I looked at it and I said, huh. Okay. You just compared your work to Neil Breen. Are you going to oh, take that? Yeah. Listen, <laughs> a, yours was mo more coherent <laughs> and had more of an actual <laughs> No, don't backpedal. It. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, no, no. I'm not backpedaling. I'm not back. I'm just saying the credits were similar. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Definitely yeah, well, my story, my story was, you know, two roommates at, at college have to do a paper. And so they invent a time machine. And how do you invent a time machine? You watch time travel movies and pluck elements from those movies. It's about makes about as much sense as, you know, replicating what uh, Frankenstein did to create a, a woman and uh, the plastic doll. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, it, it feels you know, very like. So the overall plot, again, like I said at the beginning, if you don't buy into it, you're going to have difficulties. But the overall premise is it feels like a student film. It feels like a draft one student yeah. film. You're, you're right. It does. Um, although, you know, speaking to, you know, the, the plastic doll, I will say at the very least with them watching Frankenstein, there's there's some line like, oh, we could do it like Frankenstein. It's like, I'm not I'm not. I'm not, digging up dead people. Yeah, I'm yeah. not digging up dead people. It's like, that's actually pretty funny because even Frankenstein now, we, we don't even really think about how horrific. Yeah. Where did that body the, come from? Right. Exactly. We don't, we don't really process exactly like, how awful that is. Who is this? Is. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, 
I, I'll be honest. I know that um, sometimes with Hughes, there's more to say, but I don't know that there is more to say with this one, guys. <laughs> I really don't, except to say that uh, Weird Science by Oingo Boingo with their lead singer, Danny Elfman, in 1985 is a scant four years away from delivering the Batman score for Tim Burton. So processing that is weird in and of itself. From my perspective, it's like, <laughs> wow, four years from now, the guy singing Weird Science is going to deliver a score that has defined more than half of my life. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I am unashamed to say I had no idea that Danny Elfman was the singer Yeah, for, for yeah. that. I had zero clue. Zero clue with that. Yeah. Uh, and Weird Science is a good... It's a good song. I mean, it's a good '80s song, and it's it's got a good beat, and uh, and is a lot of fun. Better than Thomas Dolby's oh. "She Blinded Me with Science." Speaking um, speaking of music, there's another friggin' Dragnet reference. Yeah, w- what is it with Hughes and Dragnet? I, I don't. I don't. I listen. I, they you know they were still on reruns, just not as frequently when I was growing up. So. It's it, it was a pretty consistent cultural reference. I mean, because in the '80s is when they had the uh, remake or the the attempted remake reboot, whatever, with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks. They tried yeah, to have a, yeah. a dragnet comedy, and that was sometime around the mid mid '80s that they did that. So, dragnet was apparently still on everybody's mind uh, culturally. So maybe that's maybe it's as simple as people knew dragnet. Yeah, the music was. I looked it up. I was like, did this person do what I think they didn't? No, they didn't. They did a lot of Hughes work, but there were motifs and things where it was, again, maybe it's just like, it's 85. It's right in the middle of that decade. Cause I was hearing like Transformers, the movie riffs. And I was, I was picking up all sorts of vibes from other eighties properties that like not directly copied, but just where I was almost thinking like, oh, did this person do that as well? And from what I can tell, no, but maybe they listen to the radio a lot. But now you said you liked Weird Science, but this is also saying that we watched the version that was not Weird Science 20 times in the, you know, <laughs> so we didn't get bored of it. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I, um, I think that uh, this is probably the point at which we should be asking for our star ratings. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really legitimately curious. Uh, Darren, we, we tend to go with the person who's seen it for the first time as the, the first star rating. So what are you going to give Weird Science here on your first viewing? So, yeah, I mean, we talked it up a lot and there are a lot of great points, but when I started to think again of the very beginning of the movie where they're trying to hook you, they're trying to set you up with this premise and it just felt really student filmish. Like uh, maybe we're just seeing, like we've said, the pull from I'm still, I'm shooting it in the end of 84, but I'm still thinking about breakfast club, that awesome movie I shot in the earlier this year that I'd rather spend time on. And it is definitely not the favorite of his. Uh, so I'm going to give it a two. Uh, mm. It, you know, I probably wouldn't watch this except for watching through Hughes of the eighties. You know, it's been out there for decades and I d- never felt an inkling to like watch this movie. It didn't really know much more than the pieces we know from pop culture. But I think, uh, yeah, I think overall, um, not a terrible movie, but like we've we've even said, it feels like it's movie number. It should be number one if he's progressing linearly, and then you know, Sixteen Candles, and then Ferris, or and then a uh, Breakfast Club, and then so on and so forth. So I hate to feel like I'm going from two to five to two, and I'm on a roller coaster here with Hughes. But uh, yeah, just besides from Lisa's acting really being the thing that carries it and definitely the high point of the movie as a whole, uh, just, just too, too weird. I would almost say it's like, it's an eighties fantasy comedy with like 70 sensibilities. Like it hadn't matured, Hmm. you know, like 
Not to say that it feels like an 80s camp or doesn't feel like a 70s camp movie because that is a different vibe. But I don't know. Something something's disjointed, like maybe a different time, maybe a different place in his career or maybe a different weekend. Uh, but, you know, I'm not really losing sleep over moving on to the next film after weird. Science. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Tristan. Uh, you laughed. I know it's you, lower than four you had stars. A good time. You you drew you drew the right. line in the sand. We know what we know what cap we're not gonna reach. So it's three and a half or lower. So what do you give? I mean, unless uh, we convinced you otherwise, we never. Know. <laughs> no, I I mean I'm not gonna go into my spiel because I I pretty much gave it. Like I gave everything about what I liked about it, and so I'm giving this a three stars, um, because I I think three stars is. Uh, I think it's fair for me, for someone who really likes it and thinks a lot works, but there's a lot that doesn't. Like, I, I feel like I could probably bring it down a little bit more, but I, 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 there's not too many two and a half star films I like, but there are some three star films I like. So in Letterboxd, it'd be three stars with a little heart emoji. And, um, and, that, and that's, that's me for this film. How, how many hairs can we split? Heart emojis, half <laughs> stars. It's all complete pandemonium here. I mean, <laughs> your last uh, three-star film was Ed Wood. Was it really? Yep. I mean, everything else has been like a two or a three or a you know or something higher or lower than three. But So Tristan is the Gene Siskel of our crew. Fair enough. We've but established again, we, the and, Whoa. And when I Whoa. go to the back to the history of the ratings, I mean, we've all said a lot of ratings depend on when oh, we've watched for sure. it. So for yeah, sure. I, I like this way more than Ed Wood. I don't I didn't really like Ed Wood. I think I gave Ed Wood a three because of the performances. Hmm. It's it's fair, it's fine either way. I'm gonna start off with a special treat, an absolutely special treat, especially for You're Tristan. Gonna sing weird science. Goodness, no. I said treat, not torture. I am going to eat crow here because I thought The Woman in Red came out after Weird Science, but it came out before. So The Woman in Red really would have been the movie that put Kelly LeBrock on the map before Weird Science. It Do you was think a, The Woman in Red was more popular than Weird Science? I think that The Woman in Red, uh, Kelly LeBrock, even as a kid, Back in the mid 80s, a really young kid back then, I knew about the woman in red because so many adults talked about Kelly LeBrock in that movie. <laughs> yeah. So it might not have been the financial success that Weird Science was, but it was definitely a cultural success uh, in terms of establishing her career. So I was wrong about that. I thought that Weird Science was the one that planted the flag, but it it was definitely the yep. woman in red. One year prior in the yeah. previous August. So every August sure. you were getting, you know, awesome uh, uh, Kelly uh, LeBrock films. Yeah, awesome Kelly LeBrock movies. Um, and then she went on to do Hard to Kill, which, oh, God help me. I still have a soft spot for that movie as bad as it is. I mean, William Sadler's in it for Pete's sake. Let's find out who directed that so we can do House of That Guy so I can watch uh, <laughs> Bruce uh, Malmuth. Well, House of Malmuth coming and, your way uh, sometime soon. Then she yeah. married Steven Seagal. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, man, wow. Well, it was a different time. Steven Seagal was a little more sane back then. For my rating, I wind up uh, agreeing with Tristan. And I think nostalgia powers it a bit. Three stars. This is the type of movie that on a rainy day, I'm putzing around, I'm reorganizing something or, I'll, you know, I got to do some spring cleaning or something. Weird signs can be playing in the background and I'll stop every so often and laugh at Anthony Michael Hall in the bar or I'll laugh at uh, Chet's scenes because, again, I knew that guy. But uh, yeah, three stars for me for Weird Science. And that is going to vault us into... The next Hughes film that is a part of the film registry, the the acknowledged important cultural works of John Hughes, and that is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So won't you join us next time for Bueller, Bueller. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.